0: listening to Quintilian the Latin Teacher podcast I'm your host Ryan Sellers Anthony Gibbons teaches Latin and Greek at Sydney Grammar School in Sydney Australia He is the creator of Legonium a popular novella social media account and repository of instructional resources all designed around the intersection of the Latin language and Lego products. The description of the Legonium novella reads as follows. A Latin reader like no other, Legonium is both a town and a tale. It is a town built entirely from Lego bricks and filled with an incredible cast of characters. There is a struggling artist, a bank manager, a police officer, a private detective, plus a suspicious character spotted on the roof of the town bank, and of course, Pico the Cat. And it is a tale told completely in Latin, with short sentences, a full range of grammatical structures, repetition of vocabulary, hundreds of pictures, and an English translation for reference. There is a police chase, a trip to Pompeii, a talk at a parrot, and a mysterious suitcase. I began our conversation by asking Anthony about the pedagogical philosophy behind Ligonium.
1: Um, I, I, I guess I'll answer that by saying a little bit about how it was written. Um, I tended to, um, I, was, I was concerned that if I tried to write a book, uh, it may never get finished. So the idea behind the Ligonium uh, project was to write it a month at a time uh, and to release it as it was written. Uh, originally I pictured it as being more like a soap opera um, and that way I could just kind of change stories as I went through. Um, but what it ended up becoming was one united story. Uh, as I, I was trying to use... Um, vocabulary that i knew my students would be reasonably familiar with uh, so we were using at that time the oxford latin course okay uh, but i'd also i was fairly familiar with um, the cambridge latin course at that point as well uh, and also introduce a lot of vocabulary that i only knew because of my experience at Rusticardio uh, in the latin immersions where we're talking about everyday life of living in a house uh, grammatically, I think what tended to happen was um, I wrote it over the space of 12 months and whatever kind of grammar I was uh, introducing to the various year groups that I taught was kind of top of mind when I was writing it. Uh, and so I think quite often, if you look at one chapter, there'll be certain grammatical features that are uh, prevalent in that chapter uh, so that you get a couple of hits of it. Um, as you're reading. Uh, and the same with the vocabulary. If I introduced a new word, I tried to use it uh, regularly. Um, I, I don't know exactly how it gets used. I have not used the book a lot myself. Uh, I know when it was being written that there were quite a few uh, teachers I'd hear from who were reading it month by month as it was released serially. Uh, and I also received some wonderful um assignments from students where they were getting their, their students uh, to predict what was going to happen in the next episode and write it themselves. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was lovely. They'd even illustrate it uh, and draw little Lego figures and things. Uh, I haven't used it a lot. I don't think many people buy class sets because it's quite an expensive book, uh, unfortunately. Um, but I did recently um, notice that someone had bought 50 copies And I can only assume that that's for use in a classroom, but I don't get any detail about who bought them and I never heard from the person. So I don't know how they're being used.
0: Okay, so you mentioned the the diversity of grammatical structures, okay? So in the first chapter, for example, you have future tense verbs, indirect questions, relative clauses, fourth declension nouns, verbs that take a dative indirect statement, uh, a lot of things. In terms of the the targeted level of Latin, what did you have in mind? How would you characterize this book? Um, I've when I
1: have used it in classes, I've read it with um, third and fourth year students. Okay. Uh, and what i found is that um, they kind of in, they kind of enjoy seeing the structures that they have learned about in textbooks. Um, appearing kind of in the wild, um, even though this is, you know, this is not genuine Latin. Uh, in, in a, <laughs> that's a terrible term to use, but you know what I mean. It's not it's not from the ancient period. It's not from the Middle Ages. Um, it's something that's been written quite recently and by me, and I'm the person presenting it to them. Um, they do enjoy seeing uh, structures that they have learnt about and experienced in a textbook appearing in, in these stories, Um I think it's those more complicated structures are made a little bit easier to understand, A, through the illustration, uh, illustrations, and B, I think, because the sentences are usually kept very, very short. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you don't have these long Ciceronian periodic sentences that go on and on. Uh, if there's a new feature or an unusual feature or a rare feature, it appears in a very, very short sentence. And so there's not a lot of unpacking to work out what it's doing there. Uh, And hopefully, not only will you recognize it, but you'll also maybe learn, the student will learn from that usage, how it can be used.
0: What was the most difficult part of this project? Was it the composition of the Latin, the construction of the Lego pieces, the photography? What gave you the greatest challenges? Uh, Indoor scenes,
1: (laughs) 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 to be honest. Uh, Trying to get the, 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 I was using my um, phone for all of the shots Uh, and whenever there's an internal shot like the inside of the barber store or something like that, uh, getting the camera uh, in there. Um, As far as getting the Latin right, um, I did have um, a lot of help from the community. Um, People were very generous um, and and still are when I produce materials, um, letting me know if I've made an error somewhere. Um, I've always been very open to um, correction and I think because of that, people are very willing to get in contact with me. So there were things that, in the original um, publication of it, uh, were deemed incorrect and were changed uh, gladly before it went to print. Uh, that was all when it was sort of online. Um, there's another um, uh, job which was putting the macrons on, and Andrew Gallen, Gallen, uh helped with that significantly. Um, and then Mercedes. Um, uh, who's a, a good friend of mine, um, helped with the actual publication and the form- formatting and also the reading and uh, suggestions on things that could be changed. So, so yeah, the, the hardest part technically was you taking some of the photos, but there was a lot of people who contributed uh, to the writing of the Latin.
0: Okay, my favourite chapter is Chapter 7. So a character named Claudia visits Pompeii, and she's writing a letter to Miranda to tell her about her experiences. The Lego construction of Pompeii is remarkable. And it's my understanding that this is located in a museum in Sydney. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, it, was, it was built. Um, I, I love that model. Uh, and so I'm very happy
1: to talk about it. Uh, and I'm glad you enjoyed the chapter because it was one of my favorite chapters to write. Yeah, it's great. Um, it, it was built by a guy who who goes by the name of Brickman, um, and <laughs> he was not particularly well known um, at that point. But he has become very well known um, because he's been on a television show um, which you might be aware of, uh, Lego Masters. Uh, here, here in Australia, <laughs> yeah. yeah, here in Australia, he's the judge on uh, Lego Masters. <laughs> um, Ryan McNaught is his real name. Um, it was built. Back in 2015 for the Nicholson Museum, Now the Nicholson yeah. Museum's now been incorporated into a large museum uh, at Sydney University, so the Nicholson doesn't exist as such anymore, but it was built for the Nicholson, it was the third model they'd had built, um, they had a Colosseum uh, and also an Acropolis. And the Acropolis was actually gifted to the Acropolis Museum in Athens, so you can go and see it uh, still. I'm not sure where the Colosseum lives at the moment. Okay. Um, Michael Turner was the um, uh, was the, the genius behind having these brought into the Nicholson as a way of getting more student engagement. Uh, so I decided um, early on in the story um, that. Claudia would have an interest in ancient history, and it was a bit of a throwaway line. I just sort of put it in there as an early chapter just to give her a bit of character and, you know. uh, And then later on, I went to the museum and asked for permission to go in there and um, take my photographs. And I was really, really chuffed that they uh, said yes. So there was, I think it was three mornings. I went in at sort of 8 a.m., a couple of hours before they opened And each time they took the sides down off the model for me um, and allowed me to go in there. And I did have to move a few things around, but I made sure that everything went back exactly where it was (laughs) going to go. Um, But I did leave one uh, little piece of um, foliage in there that was covering up a number. Uh, And I noticed that that's still there. And I haven't haven't said anything to them. It's
0: kind of nice today that there's a little reminder of me being there. (laughs) Well, they're going to know now. Uh, one of the delightful things about Ligonium is all the humor that you have built into it. Uh, and a lot of that is in chapter seven, the Pompeii chapter. Claudia visits the amphitheater. Hodie tamen Grex musicus, Floydus roseus conquentum in the reina dabat, nonula Carmen de facie lunae obscura ahodiwi. So you have Pink Floyd playing the Pompeian amphitheater. How many of your students catch that reference? Um. <laughs> Um, I'm going to say not many. Okay. (laughs) Um, There there
1: are some who know Pink Floyd. Um, There are some who know uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Right. Uh, but usually I have to unpack that for them. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a great story. The fact that Pink Floyd played in that amphitheater, sure. I think, in 1969. Okay, um, So it's always an opportunity to let them know that this sort of event took place. And uh, I think that's kind of exciting.
0: Yeah. And, and after 2000 years, the building is still functional. That's amazing. Uh, and then later in the same chapter, Mirabla dictu Professor Maria Beard, Homo peritissima eluc birota it. You have Mary Beard on her red bicycle in Pompeii. So my question is, have you received any response from Mary Beard about this?
1: Um, I actually wrote to Mary Beard beforehand
0: uh, and asked for permission. Did you? Uh, okay. <laughs> to
1: um, so the Mary Beard was already in the model. That, that was part of the Oh, really? Model. Okay. She, yeah. And she, in fact, had written about the model a, a few years before I used it um, and mentioned that she was in there. I wrote a long, long email uh, (laughs) singing her praises and asking for permission to use it. Um, And she wrote back the shortest response, uh, but very, very quickly. And I thought that's probably what busy people have to do is (laughs) (laughs) respond to things immediately. Uh, And it said, uh, I think flattered, absolutely, go ahead. Um, Now, Mercedes, who, as as I mentioned, did a lot of the, uh, uh, the work getting it actually published, did meet. Uh, Mary Beard at one point and I I think she showed her the book but no I haven't heard anything Um, the there there is a a funny little story in that um, that Michael Turner the the curator had gone to the UK and had taken the Mary Beard figure with him to give to Mary Beard as a gift Uh, and so when I mentioned that I was particularly hoping to have Mary Beard in there Uh, They contacted uh, Brickman and got another Mary Beard uh, made specially. So, the (laughs) the fact that Mary Beard is still in the model is somewhat due to the fact that I'd hoped to put her in the story. So, that's kind of cool.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. Another project of yours Bella Stellaria, the Latin version of the original Star Wars trilogy, illustrated with Lego pieces. so you have uh, Space Noah, The New Hope. Now, you and I, of course, when we were kids, we knew this simply as Star Wars, but later generations may know this by episode four, The New Hope. You have Imperium Referet, The Empire Strikes Back, Rowentus Yadiorum, Return of the Jedi, uh, The Star Wars of Troy, sort of an amalgam of the Trojan War story illustrated with or, or c- combined with, with Star Wars. So on your website, you write, my mother took me to see The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And the first couple of Indiana Jones films, I saw E.T. and Close Encounters with Friends Families. The first movie I saw at a cinema without adult supervision was Back to the Future. A bunch of us uh, from school went into town together. All of this happened before anyone in the street had a VHS player or a beta for that matter. So, Anthony, the only Return of the Jedi, 1983, this is literally the only film that I ever remember my family going to see together in the theater my sister would have been about four years old at the time and she began crying after about 10 minutes and my mother had to take her out of the theater so much for a lovely family outing to this to the cinema um so I guess you and I have similar sensibilities when it comes to these 80s films and and Star Wars uh in terms of the Latin you use some of the the names and terms are fairly straightforward Stella Mortis the Death Star Jabba the Hut Hannes Glaciatus Han Solo encased in ice. Uh, some of the names must have been a little more challenging to render into Latin. So, how did you approach that with with Chewbacca and the droids? The, um, I mean, the, my
1: my priority with that was was that it was readable um, by people with you know a, a minimum amount of Latin. Um, so, there you know there were some complaints, uh, all all made in you know good humor and good faith. I think. Um, that I should have uh, used a, a more Greek term for Luke's name, for example. Um, but with Chewbacca, I thought, well, it ends in A, so I'm just going to make that a, a first declension a now. Um, the droids were really fun. The first time I, I released the, the, the first Star Wars, uh, I just had I think Droidum Altum and Droidum Brewe, and I didn't try and name them, okay. Um, and then it got cumbersome, particularly when I started to work on The Empire Strikes Back. So I, I went back and, and changed that. Um, now, I think I, I can't even remember where I landed, but my if I remember correctly, I used the, the nicknames of the droids. So R2, which is what Luke calls R2-D2. Mm-hmm. I think I did something with, with R2. Um and and I think C three too, but I honestly don't remember where I landed.
0: But I but I did. I used I used the nicknames of the droids to get to get a name. Okay, so for R two you have Erduus E R D U U S, and then for C three PO you have Tripius. Okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> what do you think? I'm not sure. Uh, what do you? Think? Well,
0: I uh, very clever. Yeah, I mean certainly uh, these would have presented some challenges, but you need something that you can easily manage in Latin and making something first or second declension is certainly going to be conducive to putting it into proper Latin grammar.
1: That was my thinking, yeah. Um, And and as I said, making them as, as
0: easy to read as possible. You're listening to Quintilian, the Latin Teacher Podcast. Quintilian is supported by a Bridge Initiative grant from the Committee for the Promotion of Latin and Greek a division of the Classical Association of the Middle West and South. More information about these grants is available at CAMWIS.org. That's C-A-M-W-S dot O-R-G. If you're enjoying Quintilian, please give us a rating and or a review on your favorite podcast distribution platform. Okay, Uh, another statement on your website I have to ask about, about Star Wars toys, because again, you and I are from the same generation. I had plenty of these when I was a kid. I really wanted the Millennium Falcon. I never had that one. My my father made me one out of Styrofoam uh, (laughs) that I played with for years and years. But you say, my favorite toys in those days were all Star Wars. I had about 30 figures and three major pieces of tech. The best was an X-Wing fighter. I love that X-Wing more than anything I have owned since. I had a Hoth base that I later watched melt in a bonfire, a cross between science experiment and declaration of adolescence. So you had to tell this story. What happened to your Hoth base?
1: When when I was growing up, um, one of my weekly chores was to go around the house and collect up all of the rubbish from the various bins around the house uh, and take it down to the, the back of the property where we had an incinerator. And just throw it all in, in the incinerator. It's environmental vandalism. I now realise <laughs> that was then. Um, and uh, yeah, as I said, I guess there was a sense that I was growing up. And um, so after I, I piled all of this rubbish into the into the furnace and lit it, I then placed the uh, hoth on top and just kind of watched it burn and melt. And
0: <laughs> I've never seen it since. Okay. Yeah, rather ironic that uh the planet Hoth, the ice planet, is burned in a gigantic bonfire on your on your family property, right? <laughs> Never thought
1: of that. Right.
0: <laughs> okay, one more pop culture question here. Uh, we you mentioned Back to the Future. Now, this wasn't the first film that I saw in the theater, but I have very vivid memories of seeing this on VHS at my cousin's house, and it's still one of my favorite '80s films to this day um on your website you do have sort of a a back to the future teaser of sorts you have doc and marty standing by the delorean and the latin text says we us in illo loco quoimus opus non ered weis roads where we're going we don't need roads so my question is do you have any any plans to develop this back to the future uh more extensively on your website i, I i'm no
1: i i don't um is the short answer? Okay. <laughs> uh, there, a, a lot of the things I do are kind of governed by what Lego does and the figures that I have. Um, there was a there was a Back to the Future um, car that came out uh, years and years ago, and also they did a level of it on um, a, a computer game called Lego Dimensions. Uh, and so I had I had those two figures, and I had a tiny little Delorean, uh, and that's all I have. Okay. Um, for Back to the Future, it'd be a huge job to kind of, you know, build the. I mean, it'd be, it'd be a great job for someone, and I'm sure it's been done. But build the uh, the clock tower and the 1950s sort of diners and all of those things would be great. But um, uh, it wasn't something I'd thought
0: of. I like the idea though. And uh, if you if you were to get to the second film in the franchise, you'd have the challenge of all those hoverboards as well. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be a lot of blue tack and fishing line. I think <laughs> exactly. Well, if you have some time on your hands, I mean, maybe you can get around to that. Okay, some other things on on your website. Um, what is Gilbo?
1: Gilbo, um, Gilbo was a was an attempt to write uh, something um, that I thought uh, my students would enjoy. When I very first started teaching Latin, I I was a history teacher for about a decade before I became a Latin teacher. I was teaching a Year 7 class, um, so a a first-year class, uh, who did the first four chapters of the Cambridge course um, in six months, in two terms. And that was was all the Latin they did uh, in Year 7, and then it was optional. They could pick it up in Year 8. This is a, a previous school that I worked at. And so what I tried to do was to write a parallel story where it introduces the exact same vocabulary and the exact same grammar as each Cambridge story, but it's a completely new tale. And I I think it was quite successful in doing that. Um, At first, I published it as um, a booklet that I handed out, and I he was originally, Gilbo was originally a hobbit, hence the Gilbo Bilbo
0: right.
1: kind of familiar, uh, similarity. Um, but then I was introduced to this uh, website, which I assume still exists, called South Park Studio,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where you could go in and you could create your own South Park characters. And you had a whole lot of costumes you could choose from, facial expressions, extra things they could carry. And so I thought I'll, I'll try and use that to illustrate this story um, and then supplement it with other images that I found using Google Image Search. And I put it on a site um, called Tar Hill Reader. Are you familiar with Tar Hill Reader? I am. I am. Yeah, so that was its first home. This was long before I had a website. Um, I popped it up there and it's, it's still there. Um, I, I never actually wrote the final kind of chapter. Um, which I think is both terrible and good because apparently some teachers do set it as an exercise for the students to write the final chapter. Oh, great. It's nice. Um, but one day I probably will get around to finishing it. Um, and so it was on Tahill Reader. I, I think it was fairly popular because it did something that was useful because so many people were using the Cambridge Latin course. Uh, and then when I moved it over to the Lagonian website, um, I started from scratch with the illustrations and used, used the originals as a guide, but um, sort of did cleaner versions of it. I'm now using um, Keynote, which is a bit more powerful than PowerPoint, which is what I used originally okay. to do it.
0: Okay. Another resource on your website, the Disco Series. Tell us about that, please. Um, well, the Disco Series is
1: um, is unfinished. Um, uh, it, it was going to be a, a huge series. A lot of the things on there on the site are um, I'm both proud of and kind of ashamed that they kind of <laughs> haven't, haven't progressed to where I originally imagined them progressing. Um, but the idea with Disco was to teach Latin, where every episode would be a small conversation that you could have. And so, you know, the very first one teaches you how to say hello, next one asks you to, teaches you how to say what is your name, and then it moves into what's your favourite food and your favourite god and your favourite animal, your favourite drink. Um, it, it just doesn't go for as long as it needs to go. Um, and I have thought about going back to it, but I've become such a fan of Orberg, um, Lingua Latina Per Se Illustrata, that I'm not convinced anymore that, that disco series is really the way to go uh, with teaching Latin. There's a lot of English explanation about what's going on. Um, What I I do like about the disco series is the games that form part of it. So every couple of lessons, there's a game that you can play that uses the grammar and the vocabulary that you've learnt. And I have used those games in the classroom. I've used them at Latin camp with students about 13, 14 years old. And the, the games are quite successful. And I, I noticed that they get downloaded quite a lot. There's Particularly, there's one called uh, SNA Boss in Templo, um, which gets you know downloaded a couple of times a week. Uh, so I'm really glad they're out there and that they're being played. Um, the course itself, I, I have mixed feelings about. Um, but I, I hope if people use it, they they get something out of it.
0: Okay, so you have so many resources on the Legonium website, we can't really talk about all of them. You have some Aeneid resources, you have Cicero's in Catalina, you have some materials to support the Athanatse Greek textbook, which I wish I had had as a student 30 years ago. What other resources do you have plans for developing in the future? I, th- I think um,
1: for the next couple of years it's it's going to be mainly things to support the orberg course the lingua latina per se illustrator okay um we've just started using it at the school where i teach um so w- one of the things i was noticing with lagonium was that i was creating a lot of resources that i wasn't able to use myself and so i made a decision maybe two years ago to try and bring together what's happening on lagonium with what i'm doing myself um, but but Allberg's a very, very popular course, and so last week um, I released a grammar guide that covers grammar that's in the first five chapters, and that was released, that was downloaded about hundred times within sort of in a space of twenty four hours um, by people all around the world, uh, and so I think I'm on the right track with that. Um, I've made, I think, probably like six or seven readers now that um, can be read alongside Orberg. Um, Some of them are featuring Marvel characters. uh, Miranda and Claudia uh, are in there. Um, There's a Star Wars one about Jabba the Hutt kind of getting dumped on the side of the road by his guy. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, I think probably that's going to be a big focus of it. Um, I, if I ever get to Athens and they'll let me use their model, I'd like to do a few more chapters of the Athanas day where they go and visit Athens. Nice. <laughs> <But> that's, <laughs> that could be a
0: couple of years away, I think. So you have so many of these Lego related projects. Have you received any, any pushback from the Lego company about any of this? Uh, not at all. Um, Lego came out with, uh,
1: an interesting project a couple of years ago. I don't know what really came of it, though you probably are aware of Lego Ideas where people can submit ideas for sets and then they'll turn them into, potentially they'll turn them into sets. They did something similar where they were like, what about whole business ideas? If you can give us a whole nother business direction. And so I wrote to them and, and not specifically to suggest that they might use it to teach Latin, but maybe they could develop language learning and language teaching tools so, so i suggested to them that maybe that this was something that they okay I, I suggested to them that maybe um, a business idea would be to develop language learning and language teaching tools uh, using lego and i sent them uh, references to the website and a little bit about it uh, and they wrote back a very, very nice letter saying that this was not something that they were interested in, um, but they were very impressed with the website and they wished me well. And so that that was enough for me to think, well, I'm probably not going to get a cease and desist letter from them.
0: <laughs> so when did your interest in Legos begin? When you were a kid? Yeah, No, not really. I mean,
1: yes and no. Um, I had a little tiny bit of Lego when I was a kid. Um but it was—I think it was 2012. I'd gone over to my first rooster cardio, and on the way back, I'd bought a um, a Lego um, Boba Fett's ship uh, from The Empire Strikes Back, and I and I brought it home and I played with it and well, played with it. I I, I started building it. I think I got through the first bag, and I really was kind of disinterested. I stuck it all back in the box and put it at the top of the cupboard. And and then I moved a couple of times, and each time I moved, I took it with me. And then a couple of years later, I guess it was 2016, when I heard that Disney had bought the rights to uh, Star Wars, and that there were going to be a bunch of new films, a bunch of new films. Um, I remembered that I had this Lego set up in the top of the cupboard. I thought maybe I should give it another go. And I I think things were fairly stressful at work at that point in time, and I just found it a, a very very nice way to relax, uh, to just sort of follow these very simple instructions and put block on block on block. Uh, So when it was finished, I was over at a friend's house and I suggested to her that I wanted to buy a a Millennium Falcon. There you go. Um, And a uh, Jabba the Hutt sail barge, and I couldn't decide which to buy. And uh, her advice was to buy both, and it all kind of got out of control from there.
0: (laughs) Okay, let me ask you about your very popular Twitter account. You have close to 30,000 followers. You often focus on Roman holidays and notable dates in Roman history. Um, Late 2022, you issued a series of tweets about ChatGPT, the artificial intelligence program that's been in the news recently. You asked this program to write some short Latin poems about movies. Primarily 80s movies, of course, Star Wars, E.T., The Breakfast Club, Ghostbusters, and so forth. I'd like to ask you about Frozen, since my daughter is obsessed with Frozen. So here's what the uh, the, the robotic program gave you for Frozen Ana et Elsa, Sorores Amantissima, Qua in Frigora Regnant, Magia Glaciese, Cor in Amora, Nihil Potest Ea Superara. Anna and Elsa, very loving sisters who live in the the, the cold. Magical eyes, hard in love. Nothing is able to conquer them. Uh, okay, so not bad. Not exactly Book Thirteen of the Aeneid, there, Anthony. So, so what do you make of all of this? There's been so much hand wringing about this, uh, not just by Latin teachers, but all across academia. What what do you make of of this program and the implications for the future of of Latin teaching?
1: Uh look, I. I think it's interesting. Um, Obviously, I wouldn't have investigated it if I didn't think it was at least a little bit interesting. Uh, Do I worry? Um, I don't set a lot of um, composition work in the later years. And so the composition work in the the early years, it's very, very apparent if the students are using structures and vocabulary that they they just wouldn't know and wouldn't know. Um, so I don't think there's a risk there. Um, what, I, what I did do, um, as well as those poems, was write some questions like, uh, uh, you know, what is the role of Dido in the Aeneid, for mm-hmm. example? Um, and got maybe a three-paragraph response. Um, and most of what it said was accurate, and I, I assume that's only because it's read, things that were accurate. I don't think it sort of comes up with a concept of literature and then makes these decisions on its own. But there were some errors, um, just some factual errors. Um, and I did imagine uh, using it in a class where we might ask it these questions and then pick its responses apart. Uh, you know, where do we think it's it's been particularly thoughtful? Where do we think maybe it's shown some some inaccuracies or made reached some conclusions that we wouldn't have normally or necessarily release reached. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to be something that I'm going to use a lot in the classroom. Uh, and I, But if people are in the habit of setting these sorts of questions as homework, then I think they are going to have to be mindful that students may use them um, and they may be, may be better to set those sorts of questions as written tasks in class where, you know, you can be sure that they're not using that. Um, I, I don't know whether you saw it but i also de- used the um dali which develops illustrations
0: i think i did see that and yeah tell us about that well i mean that's an interesting one because i've i've created
1: a couple of um, card games only one of them has been released uh, and i've commissioned a lot of art for the well i say a lot felt like a lot to me um for those um I just decided that I would see if I could illustrate a very specific uh, martial epigram, which is the the one where he says you have the, the face of a man swimming underwater. Right. Right. And it, it took me probably sort of eight goes to, you know, come up with the sentence, you know, um, a man wearing a toga, swimming underwater, mm-hmm. um, and it gave it tends to give you four examples that you can choose from. And there was one that I thought was was pretty good. The, you know, the face was all blurry and it kind of captured the idea of what I think that epigram is about. Um, but you could also see this very fine tunic that was kind of dragging behind him in the water. And I, and I thought it was clever and I thought um, it, it worked. And so I I just put up there. It wasn't a particularly popular tweet, um, but I was interested in it. Um there was a there's a comic that I put out uh, based on um, Pyramus and Thisbe uh, that's available on the website, and it's created entirely from images that I found on Google Image Search. Which, I mean, I'm very aware that not everything I do is necessarily uh, doing the right thing by copyright, and I do worry about that. I don't think you can download this one. I think you can only watch it on the site. Um, but it works because there's only two characters in it. Uh, there's a, there's a, a, you know, Pyramus and Thisbe, and so at any point in the comic where you see a man or you see a woman, you know it's Pyramus and or Thisbe. That kind of thing I think could be done um, illustrated with AI, uh, and that's something I'll probably try during the year at some t- stage. Is to take maybe one of Ovid's stories and see if I can do it as a comic where every image is a separate AI image.
0: Okay, so I'd like to hear more about your personal story now. So where did you grow up, Anthony, and how did you first develop an interest in Latin?
1: Um, I grew up uh, in Sydney. Um, Other than three years in Singapore, I've been in Sydney my entire life. Um, I didn't know much about Latin at school. Um, I, I do remember I was a huge fan of a comedy musical trio called the Doug Anthony All-Stars. I don't know whether you've ever seen the Doug Anthony All-Stars, but they were big in the 80s and I think you'd probably get a kick out of them. (laughs) Um, They've all gone on to do, you know, various things since then. Um, And they published a book uh, that I bought a copy of and it had um, an inscription in the front. Uh, that was in another language, and I, I didn't really understand it. Uh, so I took it to the language department at the school and asked if there was anybody there who could translate it. Um, and they sent me to um, Mr Falkard. Uh, and Mr Folcard was in the history department, so that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, but it turned out it was, it was a quote from Horace, so he very kindly uh, wrote it on a scrap of paper and gave it back to me a couple of days later. Um, and, and so so this idea of ancient languages was com- really completely alien to me. Uh, I didn't do much history at school. It wasn't until I was in maybe my second year of working, I was working in an advertising agency and not really enjoying it, uh, that I was thinking about going back to university and doing a teaching degree and at the time, I was thinking I would teach um, maths and science because that's what I had done myself at school. Hmm. And I popped into a bookshop and asked for a recommendation for a book to read because I hadn't read anything for years. Um, and I was marched across the bookshop. I can remember it vividly. Uh, and just this one book was picked off the shelf and put into my hands. And it was Donna Tartt's uh, Secret History.
0: Fantastic. Uh,
1: and so I started reading it. Um, as I said, I wasn't a big reader, so I don't even think I finished. Well, I, I know I didn't finish it. I didn't finish it until maybe 10 years later I went back to it and read it again. Um, but I was so taken with the story. There was um, Richard Papen was a, a young guy who I guess was at my age at that time, and there was a character called Henry who kept his diary in, in Latin, and they were reenacting pagan rituals. Uh, and there was one conversation that took place in a library where they are arguing about what case they should use Uh, to describe this ship moving towards an island. Uh, And I I don't really know why, um, but I was completely taken by it all. And so I did quit my job um, sort of days later uh, and enrolled to go back to university. Um, And I did start the science and then about three days into it, I switched over to ancient history. Um, and I couldn't do Latin in my first year at that uni, uh, but at the second year I could, I could start doing Latin. And so I did two semesters of Latin. That was all they offered at, there at that point. And then after that, I bought myself the Cambridge Latin course and just started reading through that. Um, uh, Harris Potter um, was helpful. Um, I bought a couple of really good... Um, uh, these fully parsed books um, from sort of the 1800s, which like, you know they just is exactly what it sounds like. There's you know six words on every page, and the rest of it's footnotes where right, they just right. parse um, Cicero and Virgil. I, I studied those quite extensively. Um, yeah, that was kind of how I got into it. And then, as I said to you earlier, I, I taught history for about 10 years, and then was very fortunate to get a, a Latin teaching job um at a school called riverview um with luella Parrott, who was an is an amazing teacher but was an amazing mentor for me as well for those three years and i've been at my current job now in a, a bigger latin department um for uh, just coming up to 11 years i think
0: and that's the sydney grammar school that's sydney grammar school yeah, yeah. tell us about that about the school? Um, I love it. Um, It's it's right in the
1: middle of, well, it's on the outskirts of the middle of the city. Um, I can walk there every morning and and walk home. Um, The department is quite large. So we've got uh, probably eight people in the department teaching Latin. Um, I have started teaching first year Greek. I think this will be my fourth year uh, going and teaching first year Greek which has been a great experience i had a, it was a bit of a steep learning curve but um, i'm very comfortable teaching that first year course now um, there is a couple of people there that teach um, sanskrit um, it's, a, it's a it's a great department we all get on really well um, and the, the, we've got good students great students uh, who are enthusiastic very bright it is a selective school um, so we're very fortunate to we're teaching bright students, although you know, I'm not, I shouldn't say fortunate. That just happens to be what we're doing. We're teaching very bright students. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's it's good.
0: It's good. It's it's all boys, uh, correct? It is. Um yeah. In, that, in your mind, what are the advantages and disadvantages of single sex education? Um,
1: I'm I'm not sure what the advantages are. Um I, I do Believe by statistically um, that uh, girls do better uh, academically uh, in single-sex schools. Um, I'm, I don't believe that's true of boys. Um, if 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 grammar decided to go co-ed, and some of these single-sex schools in Sydney are deciding to go co-ed and have been going co-ed, uh, I, for one, would applaud the idea. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm not sure what the advantages are of, of a single sex school but there isn't a school quite like it in Sydney where I could teach.
0: Okay so you mentioned that your school offers Latin, classical Greek, Sanskrit. I was looking on your school's website. You have a really robust language program. What are the languages that are offered at your school? Um
1: they so so everybody in the first year and and one of the things that's that's unique in Sydney, at least, about our school is that the language department and the classics department are separate. Okay. Most In most schools, they're, they're combined. Um, so everybody does a year of French and a year of Latin in their first year, uh, and then they can choose to continue with Latin. They can, they can choose to pick up Greek in the second year if they want to. Um, in the modern languages, they can continue with their French. Um, they can pick up, and I hope I don't forget anything here, um, but I think it's Mandarin, Italian, German. I think that's right. I'm not 100% sure. But okay. there, but but it is a very strong department. Very enthusiastic uh, teachers, um, and uh, I do occasionally. Um, I have I have occasionally. I won't say I do because I don't do it nearly often enough. Um, Gone into the classroom and watched the modern. Uh, language teachers teach. And it's always a, a fount of ideas.
0: Fantastic. So in the time we have left, before we jump to our closing segment, I'd like to ask you about Latin in Australia as a whole. So how how common is it for schools in Australia to offer Latin? I did a
1: little bit of research this morning um, because I, I, I thought this question might come up. Sure. Um, so last year for the HSC, which is our final year exam, the high school certificate, there were 67,000 students sat at the HSC. Um, of those, a little less than 200 would have done Latin. So not many. Okay. Um, there are schools in Sydney um, that teach the IB, and I do know that there are Latin IB students, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure of the exact numbers. Uh, the schools that teach it, I would say the, the vast majority of them are in Sydney uh, across Australia. There are schools in Melbourne that teach it. There are schools in Queensland that teach it. Um, I think there is now a school in South Australia, um, but that might be it. We might be looking at, let's say, 25 schools uh, across the whole country okay. um, that are teaching Latin. Um, I, I was at a conference at the end of last year in which um, some research was reported on. Um, it hasn't been published, so I, I can't say too much about it, but something that I think I can say uh, is that there was they undertook um, interviews with members of the general public. and they were surprised at how supportive the general public was about the teaching of Latin. Most people thought that it was worthwhile uh exercise. Um however, uh it has a very strong reputation of being elitist. Right. And and it, that falls into two categories. It's it's for the very wealthy or the very smart. Mm-hmm. And that I think is a result of the fact that it's only really in Sydney taught in private schools or in selective schools. Okay. Um, and so there's a there is a uh, an enthusiasm for the subject that might be broader than we would have thought in Australia. but you know there is a real problem that it's it's so uh, tightly maintained by a very particular type of school.
0: It's difficult to make generalizations about education in the US because American students have such different educational experiences and such different educational outcomes but it's certainly not unusual for American students to study no language at all in elementary school or middle school, and then maybe just two years in high school. So how would that compare broadly speaking in Australia and, and which languages are most commonly taught there, if not Latin?
1: I think for a lot of students, um, that would be their experience okay. of, of high school. Um, certainly it was mine. I didn't. We didn't do any language at all in primary school. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of the students that I teach now have done maybe two or three years of Spanish okay. um, or, or Italian if they come from um, the Catholic uh, sector, um, and then, as I said, they, they, they have to do uh, some language in Year Seven, and then really there'd be quite a few of them I think that would leave it there uh, and not do any more language study. So I think I think there'd be a lot of a lot of people going through the education system with very minimal language study in Australia.
0: One of the, the many challenges that Latin teachers in the U.S. are facing is a, a shortage of teachers, uh, a, a dearth of young people coming into the teaching profession. And uh, it's it's a huge problem. Uh, are you having the same problem in Australia? We are. Um, and because we're, we're talking about such a small number of schools,
1: you know, you, you get to the end of the year and it's, it's the chatter that there are you know, six schools that are looking for a Latin teacher. Right. Um, and some of that is probably created for, by movement, if one person moves and then another person moves to fill that spot, right. another person moves to fill that spot. But we're we're very aware uh, that we don't have the teaching staff that we need to fill the spaces, both both spaces that are a little left when people um, retire out of teaching um, and also, you um, you know the d- d- departments that are trying to expand, uh, it, which is happening in some of these schools. Okay, um, I, I've spoken to the headmaster about it, and he said, "Yes, you're absolutely right. It's a concern, um, but it's not. It's not just the ancient languages. He's he's particularly concerned about mathematics, for example, hmm. uh, here in Australia. Um, I think that the kind of um, student that goes into math math into you know mathematics for the purpose of doing really high-end mathematics so that they can then go into a teaching role mm-hmm. um, there's just not many of them or at least not enough.
0: okay well I'd love to keep talking about comparing the uh, the problems in education in the US and Australia but our time is running out so let's go to our closing segment sex Carissa May six of your most beloved things. Six of your favorite things, Anthony, as a Latinist. Number one, what is your favorite Latin textbook? Uh, at the moment, it is Orberg, Lingua Latina Per Se Illustrata. And you said you've taught out of Cambridge in the past and Oxford as well? Yeah, I think that's...
1: Oh, and, and I did some tutoring with Eccata Romani, which is a, a nice uh, text as well.
0: Okay, yeah. I appreciated the the joke you made in the Ligonium novella, about uh taken from cambridge the uh, the poet coming into the barber shop <laughs> and causing the scene yeah i really enjoyed that Thank okay you. number two what is your favorite place to visit in italy um
1: i'm actually uh going to italy this year i'm very excited um, fantastic i've got a, a tiny 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 little flat uh booked um that's about 15 minutes walk from the pantheon nice uh And I don't know why, but at the moment, um, the place I'm most looking forward to going back to is the Palantine Hill and exploring the um, Imperial Palace. Uh, I think because I've I've only done that once before and I hadn't done a lot of reading before I went. And so I think I'm going to do a lot of reading before I go and as I walk around, hopefully be able to uh, imagine it a little bit better.
0: So how long is the flight to Italy from Australia? Uh, it's, I think
1: if I, if I'm going straight to Rome, I think it's something like, uh, 20 hours.
0: Uh, Yeah, (laughs) it's, it's a long way. Well, I hope you have a a great trip when you arrive there. It's a, it's a, it's a long trip. Okay. Number three, what is your uh, favorite work of classical literature or your favorite classical author?
1: Uh, it's, it's the Aeneid. Um, I know that's probably a very uh, bland answer, but I, I just figure that with the need, I'm going to be reading it for the rest of my life. Um, so uh, I've read the first six books um, in Latin. Uh, the second six are still completely fresh for me. Um, I, I've, I've dug, dug, dug into little bits of them. Uh, I'm teaching some Book 12 at the moment to some IB students, um, okay. but it's still, you know, new territory. So I think that's a book that's always going to be in
0: my hand. Sure. Popular answer, but a great answer. Uh, One of the beautiful things about the Aeneid is even if you know it really well, there are always new discoveries, always new things to be found. Um, Certainly a a masterpiece of literature. Number four, what is your favorite movie or television program about the classical world? Uh, I was was trying to pick between uh, HBO Rome
1: uh, and plebs, which I uh, saw, it doesn't show here, but I saw it in the UK, and I thought it was pretty funny.
0: Yeah, so I think uh, many people in our, in our audience probably are familiar with the HBO series. Um, in terms of plebs, can you uh, maybe briefly describe that? It's sort of a, a lowbrow comedy, is that correct? It, it is.
1: It's very English, and it's okay. humor. Um, there's a character, uh, I think called Grumio, which is, you know, delightful. Right. Um, and they just, I, have probably only seen like three episodes of it, but because I can't see it, it's, you know, it's, it's gone to, uh, mythical, uh, levels <laughs> in my mind. Um, but, uh, if I ever get back to the UK, I'll make sure I watch it, but yeah, it's, it's silly, uh, but it's all set in, in Rome and,
0: uh, yeah, it's enjoyable. I'm guessing it's probably not appropriate for a high school classroom don't remember.
1: Um, okay. I, yeah, watch it first would be my advice.
0: <laughs> that, that, that's always a, gu- a good uh, strategy before you show anything in the classroom. True. <laughs> Number five, your favorite character in classical mythology.
1: Uh, at the moment, um, in, in literature at least, it's it's Dido. Um, I think because I'm I've, uh, teaching um, book four at the moment and have just finished teaching book one. And so I've been reading uh, quite a bit and thinking quite a bit about Dido. Um, I I don't know whether my interpretations are correct, but I'm very, I I feel very sort of sympathetic, obviously, for Dido, but I also am caught up with wondering how sympathetic a Roman audience would be um, and whether they would recognize that Rome, the Dido is kind of, to me, symbolic of the destruction that the Roman Empire caused. Uh, And one of my thoughts is that perhaps um, the the audience is supposed to sort of appreciate Rome or or be concerned with Rome even more because so many people had to suffer for it to come into into being. Um, But, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why an audience wouldn't be, a Roman audience wouldn't be sympathetic to Dido, and I'm not explaining this very well because my phone just rang and I got distracted. Um, But yeah, uh, that's that's who I think about probably more than
0: anyone else at the moment. Again, one of the amazing things about the Aeneid, it does provoke so many of these discussions and conversations. Finally, number six, what is your favorite Latin expression or quotation?
1: I'm going with uh, weam, weniam, outfakiam. I will find the path or I will make it.
0: Excellent. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the Quintillion podcast. I really appreciate your time. I enjoyed speaking with you. I had someone join me on this podcast from Portugal one time. I had someone from Athens, Greece. I think you win the prize in terms of distance from the U.S., though. Ah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations! And, and
1: thank you very, very much for the invitation. It was. Um, I've really enjoyed talking to you as well.